Welcome to Recovery Coast to Coast, broadcasting from Clear Channel Studios in Seattle, Washington, carried live on Fox Radio 850 KHHO in Tacoma, Washington, and carried nationally in streaming audio at www.recoverycoasttocoast.org. Two hours of interviews and features, plus questions and comments about this one-day-at-a-time adventure in personal recovery as we share experience, strength, and hope with others so that they may recover from alcohol and other drug and behavioral addictions. And now, Recovery Coast to Coast is on the air. Here's your host, Neil Scott. Welcome back once again, Recovery Coast to Coast, the only program in America on the air five nights a week, two hours a night, talking about addiction with a focus on recovery. Great to have you with us. We're on the road down here at the third annual North Texas Recovery Conference at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, and tonight's program made possible by the good folks at Summer Sky Treatment Center. Uh, They are just outside the DFW Metroplex. You can find them at summersky.us. It's where recovery becomes a reality. Joining us in this segment is Andrew Berkey. I met Andrew last night. Uh, he is the CEO of Life of Purpose Treatment Center. Uh, he was involved in the big banquet last night. Mark Lundholm was the featured speaker. But the guy who really got my attention was Andrew. He is a, a major advocate of not only addiction treatment, but the recovery process. Andrew, welcome to Recovery Coast to Coast. Oh, thanks. Appreciate you having me. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about your story, if you would. I'm 34 years old. I'm about to turn 35. And three weeks after I turn 35, I'll pick up 14 years in recovery. Holy smokes. Uh, So, you know, I have a relatively large amount of time compared to my age. But I started going to treatment uh, right after I turned 17, five days. You kind of made a career out of going to treatment, as I recall. I did, yeah. (laughs) I spent uh, three years in various inpatient treatment centers and jails and halfway houses and stuff. But, yeah, so, you know, because of the fact that I'm I'm a little bit older and, uh, you know, a Gen Xer as opposed to a millennial, uh, I started going to treatment in the 90s. And so my first experience with treatment was I overdosed five days after I turned 17 and then was subsequently sent to basically this horrific child prison camp in Western Samoa. It's like uh, 500 miles northeast of New Zealand. And we're like beaten and locked in wooden boxes. Are you and like, serious? Oh, absolutely. Horrible. You can Google it. Paradise Cove. Western Samoa. There's like survivors groups. It's ridiculous. But, you know, one of the problems is when you have bad treatment experiences, it is worse than having no treatment at all because you have treatment and you believe that treatment doesn't work, right? So I had no exposure to 12 steps. I had no exposure to like any sort of like aftercare planning or any sort of like access to higher education. It basically ended me successfully completing high school as a result of like going to this program, which is why I now have like a GED and a master's degree. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so I I did that. I I literally relapsed three hours after I, I got out of this program. How long was the program? The program was basically just, you know, it was one of those don't leave till the miracle happens and the miracle is strongly correlated with the socioeconomic status of your parents and your insurance benefits type situations, which was very unfortunate because my mom's a surgeon. (laughs) So for me, it was a year. But I mean, there were people that were there for like two and a half, three years sometimes. I mean, they were just like warehousing children, essentially. You know, it, it, it was something that you know, really, really tremendously affected me. It's why I actually carry adolescent licensure at Life of Purpose. I exclusively use it for 17-year-olds so that, you know, you can take a 17-year-old, basically 
be like, look, man, you have a 0 0.9 GPA. Our director in education <laughs> has his master's in education from Harvard, and he's not getting you to a high school diploma. So we're going to get you a GED, test out of high school early, and then put you into a community college and ramp your grades up. And then over, you know, the span of like a couple months, you basically take the worst student from high school, they end up graduating high school before the valedictorian, and you <laughs> magically transform them into like a 4.0 college student because you're putting them in like strategies for college success, which it's almost impossible to wow. get a B in. I actually, I really like the, the larger kind of late adolescent recovery movement is the recovery high school movement under ARS, the Association mm -hmm. of Recovery Schools, which is just absolutely phenomenal. So I may, as that continues to take off, I mean, if they really develop a systemic approach to converting high school dropouts with substance use disorders into high school graduates, I may actually back off of mm. treating the 17-year-olds. You know, it's, it's, it's hugely problematic because if you are 17 and you have a substance use disorder, you get treatment with like, I was in treatment with 12 and 13-year-olds. Right, like literally like feral children, Lord of the Flies. And you know, the you know, if you're if you're looking at like but if you if you get arrested, mind you, you go to adult prison. Right. right? You right, go to children right. treatment with children, prison with adults. I mean our entire system on yeah, it is yeah, just so problematic. Yeah. So I did that. My next treatment episode was nine months long. I went to this old like nineteen seventies therapeutic community model. Again, no exposure to twelve steps, no exposure to any sort of like you know, peer recovery support or aftercare, you know, programming or even like being pointed in the right direction. I actually walked off of the the property and like went and relapsed. I was probably high before they knew I was gone, you know, and then ran around again. And then the last time I came in, I went, actually I was put in jail and my parents were, I was like, you got to bail me out. And they're like, well, we'll, we'll bail you out to send you to treatment. And I was like, well, I've already been to treatment twice, and it doesn't work, so why don't you just bail me out and I not go to treatment? And they, of course, set appropriate boundaries. Um, <laughs> so being stubborn, I spent the first four months of this current recovery episode I'm in in jail, and after four months, I was like, you know what, treatment's looking pretty good. <laughs> I think I could probably handle treatment. And so then I got shuffled around the country. I went to various places and eventually ended up down, you know, in one contiguous treatment right. episode. And then, uh, you know, I was like up in poor towns in Washington. I got kicked out of there for getting in a Roman candle fight with another kid, which obviously resulted in both of us being burned since a we were Roman shooting. candle fight? Yeah, we are like shooting fireworks. We put goggles on and we are shooting fireworks. It's like, you know, stupid, like <laughs> feral children and early recovery stuff. So actually when I went down to South Florida, I showed up and I had like burns on me. And they're like, oh, do you have a history of injuring yourself? And I was like, no, I got in a Roman candle fight with another kid. And they were like, you're ridiculous. You know, but I've been down there. I've been down there now longer than... I've lived ever anywhere else, and it, it's actually interesting because I've, I've recently, you know, in the past three or four years, I've now crossed um, the threshold, which is not very exciting when you're talking to, like, Jedi Council of old-timer guys. It's now been longer that I've been in abstinence-based recovery since it was from the very first time I used to the very last wow. time I used, including the year abstinent I had and the nine months abstinent, both of which I relapsed after. Andrew Berkey is joining us tonight on Recovery Coast to Coast, CEO of Life of Purpose Treatment. And uh, uh, <laughs> what a story he has. You go from Port Townsend down to South Florida. What was the reason for going to South Florida? Um, well, they were kicking me out of Port Townsend, and I think it's about as far as you it can get geographically 
in the United States. Like, we've got a great place for you. Oh. It's literally so far away that you'll never come back here and disrupt our alumni community. <laughs> so I think that was their primary motivation. But no, I went down, you know, I went down to Florida, and I actually had a really, really good treatment episode. Um, you know, the best thing that they actually did for me was put me on a van and drive me to a meeting mm. every single day, which I, of course, had zero desire to attend. And, and I actually think that's a really interesting point because, you know, I frequently hear people talk about when they're talking about sort of like the larger, like particularly 12-step recovery, they're like, you know, this program isn't for people that need it and it isn't even for people who want it. It's for people who do it, right? And you, you, you hear people say stuff like that. Yeah. And that wasn't my experience. Like I did, I definitely needed it, but I didn't want it and I didn't do it. And really, if you can just like <laughs> shut up and hang out long enough, you know, you'll be like, hey, wait a sec, this recovery thing's pretty good. <laughs> like my life, which was a series of chaotic and pandemonious beds strung together oh. um, and a lot of like my mom crying and my dad yelling uh, as is now like substantially better and I mean I you know I had no intention of remaining in recovery even when I picked up my year medallion I mean you know I didn't get a real I got fake sponsors I was like you know my, my first sponsor fired me because I didn't call him at all and was like leaving messages intentionally at places this is like pre-cell phone so, you know, and then, and then my next sponsor didn't know he was my sponsor, so he couldn't fire me, you know, but I mean, I, I like, I, I did the whole, the whole deal, you know, I'd like get off and I'd be like, his name was Joe, I'd be like, Joe, and he'd be like, what's up, buddy? Cause I never told him my name. And then I'd like tell the treatment center, I'd be like, that's my sponsor, We're really getting into the book. It's helping me out tremendously. <laughs> what was different in your last treatment experience? So... Um, like I said, the, I, I think the biggest thing, and this is the biggest thing that you know we need, and it's not even just it's not even just with twelve step recovery, but the sort of larger recovery advocacy movement. Right, right. Young people have to have peers, right? You have to build recovery has to be cool. Right. If recovery sucks, you're gonna get high again. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why, like, access to education. Having fun events like we just we just held like a recovery tailgate party down at the UM nice. FAU game. Nice. You know, so we we were out there like playing can jam. We got like a couple <laughs> hundred people there. You know, um, we got a block of like 50 tickets, and like we went to the game afterwards. And it's so it's so cool to see young people you know, having this experience yeah. that, like, I, I really didn't get, yeah. you know, I mean, we, we, we would do, we would do fun stuff, but not on the scale that we, we play glow-in-the-dark ultimate frisbee on the beach every night, or every uh, week, every no Tuesday Roman night. No Roman candles, though. No Roman candles, <laughs> nothing with fire. No, but, you know, and, and so, like, that sounds ridiculous, right? Like, making a field out of glow sticks and putting glow bracelets on the yeah, players yeah. so you can distinguish team affiliation, having this LED light frisbee and running around on the beach. But, like, when you do that yeah. and you make it fun, yeah. it makes recovery appealing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that is the difference between young people succeeding yes. and young people not succeeding is do they enjoy right. life and recovery? Right. And all of this sort of, like, you know, stiff-backed, like, snobby, no <laughs> Goes up like you know, I recovery you. needs yeah. to be a burden. Yeah, attitude is yeah. literally killing yeah. young people. Yeah. And there's been such a paradigm shift in the last few years, and and the the leader behind all of this has been young people in recovery. It's a tremendous movement. I mean, it just it does my heart good to see the kind of things that are happening with young people in recovery today. It's it's a it's a national movement that continues growing day by day, hour by hour. Yeah, there. I mean, young people in recovery is really 
without peer uh, <sighs> in this space. And, you know, I mean, this is, I mean, we obviously, like, really significantly support them. Absolutely. Um, financially and, and uh, in, in, in time, terms of, like, our, our volunteer from... Our, our staff and various like friends that we have like yep. not you know in this industry and sort of also within the just like larger recovery movement like you know we've got friends that have nothing to do with like the treatment industry they're just like you know bankers or professors yeah, yeah. or whatever and they're all getting on board with it because young people in recovery is is really the solution and yes. and you know it's so interesting because you know we have all of these different passionate people that are really trying to come up with a solution everyone inherently knows yeah. that the way that we're approaching emerging adult treatment and post-treatment recovery is is flawed, right? I mean, you're talking about, if you're talking about the treatment industry, you're talking about a $35 billion a year industry with a 90% failure rate, yeah. right? If we were doing literally anything else, everyone would be in prison. Mm. There's, I mean, just like, can you imagine, right? Like, yeah, like you're yeah, building yeah. buildings and 90% of them collapse and you're like, oh, I guess it didn't want to stay up. But we're really familiar with the blueprints, so you should let us build this building again, again. for the 18th time. Like, no, of course, you would get incarcerated oh. for that. But, you know, it, so everyone sort of knows that there's an, this inherent problem. And, you know, post-treatment, young people in recovery collegiate recovery communities and programs that are being set up on these university campuses. Like, this is the solution. So it's not about, like, we don't need to come up with a solution. We just need to get behind and support the people that are already doing it and scale it up to a level where it's accessible to everyone. Well, you know, YPR probably has, like, 75, 80 chapters. I can't even keep track of it because there's, like, new ones coming up every week yeah. in, like, a random place. But, I mean, some of those guys, like, like young people in recovery Maine is unbelievable. Really? You, oh, my God. If you ever get a chance to interview interview anyone from yeah. Young People in Recovery, Maine. I mean, yeah. these people are, like, radically changing the laws and it. legislation oh, of the entire state. Like, you can go, you know, and, and like, they're, they're, they're plugged in and friends with, like, this really proactive police chief in Glasgow who's like, yeah, you know what? Like, if you're addicted, I'm not going to incarcerate. You come in and ask for help to this police station. You can literally walk in, be like, here's my heroin, here's my rig, I need detox, and, like, the police will help you in, in Glasgow, Maine. I mean, that's unbelievable. That's yeah. unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. And that's the sort of stuff, those are the sort of initiatives that we need to be going off all over the country. And YPR and the collegiate recovery movement and behind the collegiate recovery movement, the academic institutions getting on board with funding, raising funding, supporting, conducting, and publishing research, yeah. that's how it's going to change. Andrew Burke is joining us uh, on Recovery Coast to Coast. I was only going to keep you one segment. Can we do another segment? Sure. All yeah. right. Let's take a short time out. Take care of some messages. We'll come back on the other side with Andrew Berkey. He is the uh, CEO of Life of Purpose. I want to find out about that. I want to find out about YPR. I want to talk about a number of things. We'll do that when we come back. I'm Neil Scott. The program is Recovery Coast to Coast. We'll take a short, short break. Back on the other side right after this.